Hi, everyone, and welcome to Anesthesia Coffee Break. I'm Lahiru. And I'm Stan. And today we've got a really great episode because we're having a bit of a celebration today. And also we're talking about the differences in arterial and end tidal CO2. So let's get started. Okay, so welcome. Um, the obvious disclaimer, everything that we talk about is just general stuff for education purposes, and it is not complete medical advice. So please, if you're treating a patient, trust your treating team and consult with a specialist for that reason. So Stan, we're celebrating, aren't we? We are. And apologies if my voice sounds a bit hoarse. I, I have been uh, celebrating last night, albeit uh, socially <laughs> distant while we're still in Melbourne. Uh, we've had some great news. So all our Northwest uh, trainees passed their exam. So very Woo! happy. And yeah, you should have, do you have the little button where you press where, where you get like a, I'll, a I'll, mass audience that claps? Yeah, that I'll be. edit that fake audience in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that should be our next stage of uh, video production. And, um, but but the, look, the most um, part that I'm sort of proud about is as a team, so as, as the um, team at Western Health and also Austin, uh, Royal Melbourne, Northern as well, and Peter Mac, and also the country hospitals as well, Ballarat. So hopefully I haven't forgotten any other, and Albury Wodonga. So as part of that whole consortium, uh, what, I'm most proud, what I should be most proud about is that we had trainees who were sitting for the second time and we managed to get all of them through. Oh, and so, so that was a massive achievement. So I'm so ecstatic for everyone. I'm so happy for all the individuals. Um, and I know talking to a lot of them that they listen to the podcast as well. So yeah. I'm sure they'll be thanking you as well, Lark, for all your assistance Stan, uh, and guidance with this exam. And I got to say just, you know, so much, so much applause for you because uh, I don't know, I feel like you've just done so much work. You're doing so much work in this and, you know, you've mobilized all the resources around us, you know, you, you know, the way you get people to, you know, you ask them to do and support and train. And then you, know, you like, you lead from the front, the amount of time you spend on this to try to get people through this. I mean, this is the hardest thing that most people will have done in their whole lives. And, you know, especially if you failed it once oh, and just, uh, it, it just feels so good. I, I can imagine if I was these trainees, maybe they've failed a couple of times and to get through it, uh, yeah. It's a massive feeling. Yeah, massive. Well, thanks, Lar. Um, look, I, I, do, I, do, um, I do have to say, I do get emotionally invested in the process. And so um, the joy that it brings uh, is immense and priceless. And that, um, you know, in terms of a performance tip for today, it's celebration. That's, that's my performance tip, as in you celebrate <laughs> the good times. So you Absolutely. have all these trials and tribulations and all the things that you uh, sort of, um, the steps that you put in place to deliver success. And when that success happens, I think celebrate it. And it's a, it's a cause for um, a momentous occasion for everyone to get together and just, you know, reflect on how we as a team can produce such positive memories and such positive change uh, mm. in our community. And I, I, look, I was recently talking to a friend of mine and, you know, she was um, a massive influence in my life uh, over the past kind of two, two decades. And, you know, she's going through a, a really tough time and in, in, in her, like in, in what she's feeling now, which is, you know, really bad, she couldn't appreciate how much of a difference she's made in so many lives. Um, you know, uh, and, and literally I was, I was just telling her that, you know, she's kind of defined my life for a couple of decades 
um, with all the stuff that she's done with me and my you know team, and and um, she doesn't she doesn't remember that she doesn't remember the the good stuff. It's yeah. just just that we're in lockdown and her business is struggling and you know like it's 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 a whole new world for this person this poor person and um and you know I, I told her that you know one of the greatest joys is looking at the projects that we did and completed and that makes me feel happy and and I think just just telling her that made her happy because I think she forgot that she she's very important to so many, so many people and I was yeah anyway I was thinking oh you know now is the day where data is so accessible. Just look at old photos. Look at the look at the you know your previous triumphs. Celebrate them a second time. Why not? You know, life is short. <laughs> Absolutely, especially in this um, in these difficult times. I think uh, you you look at the positive things um, mm. that you've achieved, and also I say you also look forward as well and know that um, you know what positive things you can also affect as well. And I think mm. having that mindset allows you to move forward and allows you to um, create change. So yeah. good stuff, La. Yeah, excellent. So let's get started with uh, some short answer question fun. So all right, you know, yeah. So you're gonna be today. You're gonna talk about a question that's been asked. Um, looks like a couple of times in the past. And the premise of the question is they want you to describe the potential causes of a difference between end tidal and arterial partial pressure of carbon dioxide. And there's um, there's a couple of iterations in terms of how it's asked, but that's the that's the genesis of the of the um of this question. Mm-hmm. So like, a couple of things I think that are important for the questions are, are definitions. Mm. So what definitions do you have um, that you think are important to be adding for this to this question? Yeah. So when I, when I look at that question, obviously they mention end tidal CO two and they mention you know partial pressure. Um, of arterial CO2. So those are two obvious definitions, but also, you know, we, I guess I'm, I'm going to uh, invoke the Bohr equation. So maybe even talking about mixed expired CO2 at this time is also pretty useful. And so literally definition, end tidal, mixed expired and arterial PaCO2. Now let's talk about each of those. Um, so end tidal CO2, essentially, this is the CO2 measurement at the end of a tidal volume breath, and that represents alveolar gas. So it doesn't reflect any of the dead space gas because literally it's whatever the maximum concentration is measured by your analyzer at the end of your respiration. Um, And usually, you know, this is around two to five millimeters millimeters mercury lower than your PaCO2 um, and is measured from a capnograph trace. Um, then you've got the mixed expired. And this is a bit complicated because you don't want to confuse this with end tidal. Mixed expired is, imagine someone breathing out all of their gas from ventilation, you know, from just regular ventilation. What is the, what, you know, what is the CO2 concentration in that? So they talk about using a mixed expired bag or a Douglas bag and take over a period of time, you just in, exhale all of the volume of your ventilation into that. And then you take a measurement. So that will actually be from, all of your alveoli, your normally perfused ventilated alveoli, alveoli, as well as your ventilated and not perfused or dead space alveoli. So you've got those two measurements, and that's obviously going to be lower CO2 concentration than your end tidal CO2. And then the final measurement, which is arterial PaCO2, um, and this is around 40 millimeters mercury. Um, and you know this will essentially very rapidly equilibrate with your alveolar P. A, capital A CO2. Um, and that's you know measured from an arterial blood gas. Machine. <coughs> now we can go into the fact that because we're trying to equate 
alveolar PaCO2 with arterial, that's called the NHOP, NHOP modification. Uh, and that really uh, applies to the Bohr equation. Um, I might even go into the fact that, you know, your overall, your alveolar CO2 is a function of ventil, you know, proportional to the amount of uh, CO2 that's produced and indirectly proportional to the amount of CO2 that's ventilated. Uh, so you've got this kind of balance between production and elimination. Yeah, that's really good. So, um, so just to summarize, um, in terms of what you said, the end tidal CO2 represents your alveolar gas. Your mixed expired CO2 includes your alveolar gas plus uh, physiological dead space. Um, and then the arterial CO2 is a function of both uh, the um, alveolar ventilation as well as tissue metabolism as well, or, or the production of CO2. Yeah, exactly. And when, when I think about that, it's, um, you know, tissue metabolism, really, what's your metabolic rate? You know, if it's low, you're going to have lower production. If it's high, like in malignant hypothermia is a typical example, but septic cases, hypermetabolic cases, start, you know, hypothyroidism, then your, you know, tissue metabolism goes up, increases your CO2 production. So there's more CO2 in your body through cellular respiration, metabolism, and then really uh, the, the, the um, opposite of that or the elimination of that is through alveolar ventilation. And this is pretty much if you're a normal person breathing, that's your minute ventilation or minute alveolar ventilation. And then through uh, anesthetic circuit, it's really elimination of it. So are you having enough you know, alveolar ventilation that you've dialed up on your ventilator? Plus, do you have enough fresh gas flows if you're using a Mapleson circuit? Actually, just to, on this point, this was really interesting, right? So if you have a closed circuit system, you know, with the usual soda lime and kind of the general anesthetic system that we use, literally, it, you know, you can approximate alveolar minute ventilation to you somewhere around your minute ventilation. But remember um, when we did our pediatrics rotation, when we were using like the Mapleson circuits, it's somewhat to do with the fact that you do you are, you are ventilating your patient, but because it's not a closed circuit, you need to have enough fresh glass flow to cause elimination of the CO2. So if you had really low flows on a you know Mapleson circuit, your CO2 would just build you know just just stay there, and you can see that the end tidal CO2 would never drop down to zero until you turn your fresh fresh glass flows up to you know four or six liters per minute. And so I thought just having the two circuits there was was interesting. Yeah, I mean, the maple season six, that's uh, um, interesting in terms of the reason why you need um, fresh gas flow as a proportion of your minute ventilation. And it depends on mm. whether the patient is spontaneously ventilating or mechanically ventilated uh, on the Mapleson circuits. Mm. But in general, the theory is that um, when you expire as you, as you spontaneously ventilate, the expired gas actually sits um, with, so with most Mapleson circuits, except the Mapleson C, they all have tubing. So most of the um, expired gas actually sits in the tubing itself, and you need the fresh you need the fresh gas flow to actually push um, the expired gas out, and so that's why it needs to be a function of uh, your minute ventilation. So yeah, yeah. that's that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. So um, when we think about um, the difference between end tidal and arterial CO two, um, how would you go about thinking about them? That, uh, that construct? Yeah, like a lot of things in this exam, we try to categorize. And the obvious categories here are patient factors and equipment factors. And so if we were to go into patient factors, you know, the, the number one thing here is alveolar dead space. So dead space definition is those alveoli that are ventilated, but not perfused. 
And that will cause this difference between your entire CO2 and your P arterial CO2. And that's normally around two to five millimeters mercury. Um, so your, yep, your entire CO2 is usually lower than your PaCO2. Uh, okay, so then, so as you increase your alveolar dead space, this change will increase more. And, and you think, think of all the different examples of this. And so there's respiratory and cardiac type examples uh, that might cause these problems. For example, if you have a pulmonary embolism or air embolism, anything that blocks that you know, pulmonary capillary, stopping the perfusion of the alveoli, that will, again, cause dead space. Or maybe it's not even an obstruction like pulmonary embolism, it's just hypotension or severely decreased cardiac output. Um, and then combine this with a position issue, maybe like in a you know, shoulder surgery. Suddenly you have less perfusion, um, and therefore you have more alveoli that are not being perfused, therefore increasing dead space. Um, then finally, things like you know, lung disease like emphysema can also, can also cause this as well. Um, I think one of the other things is actually in doing anesthesia peep. So if you provide a lot of pressure, that will also increase the pressure within that alveolar capillary system, and that will also block off. Uh, ca causing decreased perfusion of that alveolus. Well, it makes um, sense, doesn't it? Because mm -hmm. with, with all those things you talk about, um, it's just the idea that with alveolar dead space um, and having alveolar that's, that's um, ventilated but not perfused, uh, is that remember that CO2 is, is a gas that comes back from, from perfusion or from blood. So that you need to have uh, perfusion to the lungs to actually get that. Um, CO2 across the alveolar capillary membrane. And if you don't have the perfusion due to all those things that you described, you're going to have less CO2 being involved, and which, as you said, will result in a reduction in your end tidal CO2. Um, mm. so, so what's the relationship between arterial CO2 and end tidal CO2? Yeah, so this is best described by the Bohr equation. And if you ever go through West in that chapter, there's a whole derivation of it. And I've never heard of anyone actually being asked it, but it, it, it is based on some pretty obvious principles, but we won't, won't need to go into that today. Literally look it up, follow along the logic, and it, it does make pretty decent sense, though it's, you know, it'll take a long time to kind of derive. Uh, yeah. and, and I understand that the sort of Bohr equation that you have here, um, it, do, do you mind just quickly going through it? I think it's easy enough to... Mm. to, um, to describe, yeah. So yeah, VD over VT. So that's really the ratio of volume dead space to you know, uh, volume of uh, you know, tidal volume equals P big A CO2. So alveolar CO2 take away mixed expired pressure CO2 over P alveolar CO2. And then the Enghoff modification is saying that alveolar is very approximately equal to the arterial CO2. Therefore it's P arterial CO2 minus pressure and uh, mixed expired CO2 over P arterial CO2. Yeah. And so yep. roughly, I mean, you get, you get different values for this, obviously, but I think uh, the one quoted is roughly about 0.2. Is that yep. ratio? 0.2, 0.3. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. And so obviously if there's absolutely no difference. If you look at this equation, if there's no difference between your arterial and your end tidal uh, PCO2, there's no alveolar dead space. Okay. So I think, yeah. So I think that, that, um, that modification there where if there's no difference between your arterial and tidal um, CO2 um, because, of no, of, because of no alveolar dead space, then you can actually substitute, um, um, or can you substitute? No, you can't, actually, you can't actually substitute it in because if you, if you were to use end tidal CO2 in that equation, mm. what you would get is you wouldn't get physiological dead space. You would get um, alveolar dead space. 
that's the so that's the key thing is that the, this equation uses mixed expired CO2, which, as you said, needs to be done via a Douglas bag. Mm-hmm. And um, if you decide to put entire CO2 in it, it's no longer, um, it no longer measures physiological dead space, which is both anatomical and alveolar. It just measures alveolar dead space because, remember, as you, as you correctly described, entire CO2 is from your alveolar gas. And so just the thing to mention, it's, it, it is really interesting that, you know, entire CO2 is such a big part of, anesthetic life you know it, it's an indication that your tube is in the right spot um and it also indicates you know various things like oh you know is bronchospasm occurring and you know what is you know what is my ventilation am i overventilating, underventilating, all that mm. kind of stuff and then have you stan ever had a sudden drop in entitled co2 absolutely and for me that's an indicator and the first thing that i look at is actually cardiac output so i look at the blood pressure yeah. Um, as, a, as a surrogate measure, if I don't have an arterial line in uh, or don't have a, um, a sort of a pickle to measure your cardiac output, I use blood pressure as a surrogate measure of um, cardiac output. So mm. a, what you'll often find is that um, when the CO2 drops, most often, not always, but most often, um, your blood pressure is often low. Okay, mm. And that's often, a, that's often a sign for me of what has caused uh, the patient to be vasodilated, either, either um, that I've overdosed the patient or the patient is um, overtly sensitive to the um, induction dose that I've given, or possibly something a little bit more sinister, like um, anaphylaxis mm. and other sort of rare other causes, such as any other thromboembolic causes. Yeah. And then after that, once I've ex- excluded that, that's when I start thinking about, okay, perhaps have I, have I overventilated the patient? And so the blood pressure is fine. The cardiac output's fine. They've got a good pulse um, oxygen reading. Mm-hmm. And that's often a clue as well with the plath trace. If you can get a good plath trace, quite often um, you're actually getting quite um, uh, adequate cardiac output. It's often when you see that, you know, that flat yeah. lining of the pulse trace with a reduction in CO2, and you're going, okay, right, probably need to give some basic <laughs> presses at this stage. And, and it's really good for maybe the trainees listening to get used to this pattern recognition. So maybe first of all, you know, just remember your blood pressure is an indication of your blood, you know, of your blood pressure in the past. So that that's not actually cycling regularly if you don't have an art line. So you don't really know what the, you know, perfusing pressure is of, of your vascular bed um, or your arterial system. But then there are certain other things like you mentioned. So next time you're in a case, if as soon as they institute pneumoperitoneum, or maybe you, you're doing an induction, or maybe, you know, you've got some rapid blood loss, have the, you know, the first thing I look at is, for example, as they're going in with a trocar or insufflating the abdomen, I make sure I know the the entitled CO2 and obviously the SATS trace because that's just something you look at anyway. And over time, you'll go, oh, that did drop a bit or that didn't drop a bit. And you'll you'll get these indicators for something going wrong before, you know, or just as they've gone wrong um, rather than, you know, waiting for a blood pressure to cycle. So I think that's really, yeah, really useful. Not a good point. And, and the new perineum example is a really good example because your expectation there is that when they start pneumoperitoneum, your CO2 should go up because they're in, uh, putting CO2 into the, um, into the peritoneal space. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right in terms of if I see the CO2 go down, that um, sort of indicates to me that uh, the pneumoperitoneum has caused the patient to be hypotensive. Mm-hmm. So often with pneumoperitoneum, you meant to, if the patient is well-filled, you're actually meant to have an increase in blood pressure, given that uh, if they've got a good, good contracting ventricle uh, and they're well filled because of the increase in afterload. 
Mm. But if they're underfilled, it does decrease your preload and it does exacerbate uh, hypotension. So that's, um, that's a really good point. Yeah, and it's, it's a good one to constantly keep keep an eye on. But you know, just for, for the practice of pattern recognition, it's a yeah, it's a re- it's a really useful one. Yeah, actually, pattern yeah. recognition, yeah, it's such a big such a big uh, key thing in our in our job. But um, we we're, we're trying to be systems systems based, aren't we? Now with all with all your sim teaching, uh, under, you know, we I think we, we do pattern recognition, but at the same time, we always need to have systems in place to. Um, check yeah, ourselves, right. don't we? Actually, I had an interesting pattern recognition. I don't know if anyone's, if anyone's an ALS uh, to provider or ALS instructor, and you've done lots of resource, maybe you've seen this, where you're doing chest compressions and you, you know you change the hand position, and that you, know, you you try to make sure you're in the right position based on your end tidal CO2. And so you know you'll you know, if you're in the wrong spot, uh, you'll have a low end tidal CO2. That's low cardiac output, and then you just move your hands a little bit, and suddenly you've got high CO2s, and then this happened on a couple of occasions where I'm doing chest compressions and the CO2 jumps from 15 to 25 almost instantly. And then you're thinking, oh, well, suddenly the cardiac output has increased that much. Maybe I've got return of spontaneous circulation. And when that happens, yes. the relief is incredible. Just you know, yes. keeping an eye on that entire CO2 and <laughs> seeing that. It's such a, yeah, it's, yeah, it's actually one of the essential uh, monitoring numbers that, uh, that we need. Yeah. That's no, good. <laughs> okay, we've got a couple a of uh, yeah, you've got a couple of things on equipment as well. So, hmm. um, what? How do you think about uh, the equipment factors related to this question? Yeah. So again, uh, I, I, I wouldn't take too much time on the equipment side of things, except that there's so many places that this can go wrong. So just like when you're troubleshooting, you know, a ventilator problem or a high high you know, ventilating pressure alarm system, you go from the machine to the patient. You could probably have that kind of structure if you're struggling with the memory of each of the points. So you might say, for example, equipment factors are you know, limitations or errors in the equipment that you use. And so this could be you know, the sampling site. So maybe there's a disconnection or a leak or something. Maybe the cable has some kind of problem or maybe the gas sampler, the, you know, that little casing has an issue and it's got a leak or a problem there. And then inside the machinery, maybe there's a calibration error. You notice that the end tile safety always re-zeros and sometimes it re-zeros at the wrong time. And you're thinking, was that the pneumoperitoneum, the cross clamp, the air embolism or the massive massive blood loss that's causing that? No, no, it's, it's re-zeroing. That's all right. Uh, and so there's a calibration errors. And finally, you know, the, after the calibration, then you the, the information received and converted to an electrical signal. And so maybe this signal is interpreted wrong. So if you've got a capnograph trace with, with um, some, you know, it's, it's not, it's irregular. Maybe there's a slope. Maybe you, the patient hasn't exhaled fully because it's a sloping trace. Maybe you're not actually getting the end tidal reading to re, you know, adequately reflect that you know, end tidal PA, P, uh, PCO2. Um, yeah. Also, there's that extra thing. I think nitrous may absorb at a similar wavelength, may cause inaccuracy, but I haven't, I haven't seen that in the modern machines. Oh, that's good. I think that covers uh, all the core essential um, concepts that are related to why um, there's a difference between end tidal and arterial CO2. Mm. Good stuff. Nice. That's probably enough for this episode. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to Anesthesia Coffee Break. Again, with our Patreon, it would be great to get your support. Thank you, everyone who's already supported. Um, it really, you know, really, um, really happy to have that appreciation. So, yeah, please share with anyone who might be interested. And we'll tune in again next time. Thanks very much for listening and watching. Mm-hmm.